Colossians chapter 1, please. Thanks, Les, for that song. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to spend most of our time in uh, the last section of chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. So far we've seen in Colossians that Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. Christ is everything. Christ rules creation. Christ is the center of God's work in creation. Christ rules his new creation. Christ is the center of God's work in redemption. He is the head of the body, the church. And we've seen this this really grand kind of language so far in chapter 1 especially verses 15 and following. We've seen this. We, we've also seen that there, there is some kind of pull away from the gospel in uh, the Colossian church. And Paul's answer to that is Christ. That, that sounds like the Sunday school answer, right? Every, every answer in Sunday school is Jesus. I don't, I don't know why that is, but every time you ask a question and the answer's got to be Jesus. You just, it's got to be there. But this is his point. He said the, the answer to all these troubles, you're, you're looking to this for satisfaction or this for guidance or this additional thing to Christ. He's like, no, no, no. Christ is enough. Christ is everything. He's all we need. You want to be satisfied, fulfilled in him. You want to be fulfilled, be fulfilled in him, Christ. So, this text this morning, we'll look at, there are, there are three themes that, that stick out in this text that we're going to spend our time looking at. And those three themes are, number one, the struggle. Number two, the mystery. Number three, we've called the, the focus. Struggle, the mystery, and the focus. Let's read this text together. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a servant, a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Point number one, the struggle. The struggle is real. We use that hashtag sometimes, don't we? The struggle is real. We usually use that for, uh, you know, our typical first world problems that we go through. Um, my house is so big that I have to have two wireless routers. The struggle is real, right? It's a tough life we live. Um, we, we, use, we use that term, struggle is real, as kind of a joke. And, but here I'm saying, literally, the struggle is real. 
It's, it's a real thing that Paul is facing. It's a struggle, and he is suffering for it. Verse 24. Now, so now, in other words, now, look, I, I need you to understand something. He's, he's bringing our attention in. So he said something before that. He says, now, look, I need you to understand this. He says before that, Christ, the ruler of all things, the sustainer of all things, has made peace with all things through his death on the cross in verses 15 through 20. He took those of us who were aliens, in the following verse there in 21, took all of us who were aliens, hostile to God, doing evil deeds, and reconciled us to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. He takes what is evil and he makes it holy. Verses 21 to 22. And this is what Paul is a minister of, a servant of. Look at the very last line of verse 23. Of which I, Paul, became a servant, a minister. Diakonos is the word. Now, understand this, verse 24. Now, understand this. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Really? Rejoice in suffering? Paul says it. Rejoice in suffering? That doesn't seem to make sense. Re- rejoicing and suffering don't usually mix. Usually suffering makes me cry or something like that. I don't, I don't cry ever. Um, what's so funny? Um, isn't suffering usually like a sad thing that makes us cry? He says, no, I take that rejoicing. I take that suffering. I rejoice. Really? And for your sake, it says. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Brings up a couple of questions. How, how can Paul's suffering be an occasion to rejoice? How can Paul's suffering be for the sake of the Colossian church, whom he's probably never met? Or how can his suffering be for the sake of the larger body of Christ? Verse 24, which ver, end of verse, the next clause in verse 24 seems to bring out, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. And that next clause there, does, does it help us at all? It's almost a reiteration of the first. You see that? The first and second, the, the two clauses in verse 24 are, a reiter- the second one's a reiteration of the first one a little bit. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? That's what, that's what my Bible says. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Was there really something lacking in Christ's afflictions? And the Apostle Paul can fill it up? I'll take care of that. Is that what he's saying here? You tried to on the cross when you were afflicted. Apostle Paul, is he saying, like, I'll take, I'll take the rest, you know, I'll fill the rest of that up that you didn't accomplish? Is that what he's saying here? You're probably thinking, man, that's heresy. Don't ever say that again, Pastor Paul. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, first of all, we must know that Paul is not speaking of Christ's atonement. He's not talking about his atoning work, okay? It sounds like that a little bit because of those words trigger us back to the cross, back to the atonement. But listen, we, we must not. We must not equate that to Christ's atoning work. As if he had to add to Christ's suffering in order for full atonement to be made. For him or for the church or for whoever. He's not speaking of Christ's redemptive suffering on the cross. Verse 20. Look at verse 20. The cross has already brought peace. 
Chapter 2, verse 14. Christ has canceled the debt that stood against us. Verse, 20, uh, verse 15 of chapter 2. Christ has triumphed over all rulers and authority. What does Christ say on the cross? It is finished. Done. The debt is paid in full. John 19.30. It is finished. So there is nothing lacking in, this, in a salvific sense concerning Christ's death on the cross. There's nothing lacking there. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you stand here today guilt-free. He has atoned for our sins. All of them. You don't need any extra suffering. Any extra kind of payment for our sins. No extra work outside of the work of Christ saves us from our sins. The debt is paid in full. Christ has paid the debt. So, what is Paul filling up? What was lacking? It's a difficult verse. The word that's translated as the verb, filling up, is not used anywhere else in Scripture. It's a verb with two prefixes for you English majors or Greek majors. Uh, the, the root, to fill or to fulfill, is used in verse 25. Look at verse 25, the very last phrase of verse 25. To make the word of God fully known. That root word is used, the root word to fulfill uh, more translated more literally, to fulfill the word of God. Maybe some of your translations translate it that way in verse 25. To fulfill the word of God. ESV is to make the word of God fully known. So what's going on here? This filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions and this filling up, this fulfilling of the word of God. Well, when you look at and believe the word of God, there's an inevitable result in believing the word of God. We will word the word. We will fulfill the word by wording the word. See what I did there? I made a new word out of the word word. <laughs> Never mind. Um, when you look at and believe in the sufferings of Christ, there's an inevitable result. We are going to suffer. This is what happens. We choose to follow Christ and look at his sufferings and believe in his sufferings. We will, we will suffer. So I fulfill the word of God by wording the word of God. And I fulfill the sufferings of Christ by suffering. I, I am, this, is, this is a result of sufferings of Christ. His followers will suffer. When he suffers, Paul is living out what he is called to do. This is what happens when you believe in Christ. And uh, he's not worried about it. He's not worried about it. In fact, he rejoices. He rejoices. Now, a couple of things here. Number one, Paul really can rejoice in suffering. Now, this is the general way that Paul looks at suffering. Um, he says, in prison, I rejoice. He, he says, in Philippians, while he's in pr prison, he says, Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. In case you missed it the first time, Philippians chapter 4. He says, I, I, um, I can be in need and in plenty. No, no matter the circumstance, I do all things for Christ, through Christ, who gives me strength. His joy is not found in his circumstances but in his Savior. And his Savior is King. Christ is everything. He is my all in all. 
That's how the Apostle Paul views suffering. Do, do we? Do we rejoice in suffering? I heard one time uh, Pastor Matt Chandler, he uh, spoke his message uh, called God is for God. Uh, really a fantastic message that I actually think about often. This is what he says about the Apostle Paul. Listen to this. He says, Matt Chandler says, you can't touch this guy. They say, we'll kill you. He said, to die is gain. All right, we'll leave you alone to live as Christ. Fine, we'll just torture you. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. All right, we'll put you in prison. Give me a hymn. No, I'm going to convert all your guards and sing and worship. God, God says, I, I'm going to, this is Matt Chandler continuing. God says, I'm going to make you bleed along the way. I'm going to wound you a bit because I love you so much. And I can't have, have, I can't have you getting all puff-headed. We're going to face suffering. And it's not out of the control of God. We're going to face suffering. We're, we're going to suffer. And we can rejoice because of the work that it does in us. But also because of the blessing that it is to the church. You see that here? For your sake. For the sake of his body that is the church. So the second thing we look at here in this, um, in, in this particular verse is that Paul's suffering, first of all, Paul really can re- rejoice in the suffering. And secondly, Paul, Paul's suffering is for the sake of the Colossians and for the sake of the body, the church at large. His suffering is not only a blessing for him to rejoice in, but one reason he can rejoice it's because it's a blessing for the church, the Colossian church, and the, for the body of Christ at large. It's a blessing for the church, for your sake, for the sake of his body that is the church. How, how is it, how is it, how is the suffering for the church, for their sake? He doesn't even know them, let alone others scattered throughout the world. He doesn't know them. Um... So he's speaking of the cluster, but I also believe he's talking about the whole body of Christ, the larger body of Christ. So how is it, how is his suffering for the sake of these people, for us? Answer, Paul stands as an example. He stands as an example to all believers. Seeing examples of Christ's work in this way, hearing the testimony of people's lives being changed, it has an effect on us. Do you remember last week's testimonies? How God works in people's lives? Stirs us up, doesn't it? We hear from Hal Lackey and how God worked in his life. We hear from the Mongols. We hear of the tragedies um, related to Temple Baptist Church. And it stirs us up. We hear of the sufferings of Paul. And it stirs us up. Look what Paul's doing. He's, he's in prison, rejoicing in his tribulation, his suffering. He rejoices. We've seen a glimpse into his life of suffering. And we're reminded that even this kind of suffering, imprisonment, torture, death, 
this pales in comparison to the hope that we have in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Chapter 1, verse 23. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. We really do have hope. The end of verse 27. The hope of glory. And so any kind of suffering that we face, any kind of difficulty, any kind of tragedy that we face here on this earth, any kind of suffering we face for standing up for the cause of Christ, that pales in comparison to what, to the hope that we have in Christ. And we say, that's all you got? You're gonna, I mean, the worst you can do is kill me, so... That's it? Torture me? Kill me? That's all you got? Christ is greater than this. He is greater than than anything that we can go through, that we can face. He's greater than our suffering. Do we we live like we believe that to be true? Are we dodging suffering? We, we, We cower in fear because we might suffer a bit for proclaiming Christ? Following Christ is greater than suffering. That Christ is greater than any kind of suffering that we may face. And most of us, most of us, um, aren't worried about imprisonment or death or torture. We're concerned with a sideways glance. We're, we're concerned not being accepted by this person over here, that group of people over there. We're concerned with losing friendship with the world. Tonight, I'm going to be, uh, we're going to spend some time in Luke, and I want to uh, talk about a religion um, that is taking over in our churches, especially among millennials and teens today, called moralistic therapeutic deism. Lots of big words. I heard one preacher say, lots of big words in there, but... um, there's lots of big words in mocha frappuccino, too, so it's okay. Um, don't be afraid of big words. All right. it, it's a religion that's taken over. It, it's pervasive in pop Christianity. It's, it's all over the place, is what they say. This research that they've done is what they say. But I want to examine this tonight. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. I want to examine this and submit to you that this kind of false religion is here. It's, it's creeping into our church, into our lives as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And it's not just the teens of the church. It's us. It's becoming ours if we're not careful. So we'll look at Luke's gospel and we'll see what Christ calls us to. <laughs> then we'll examine our lives and see if we live like we believe that of what Christ calls us to. We believe that to be true, that this, the call of Christ is incredible. We say that, well, do we live it? It's a, it's a whole life kind of call. We say it, do we live it? We'll talk about that tonight. Um, one, one aspect that we see here is that we're called to suffer. Right here, we're, we're called to suffer. We're, when we suffer, and, it, when, and when we suffer, it has an effect on the body. Think of that body imagery. Think of that body imagery. Everything connected together. We're a body. And think of it like, like working out, maybe. 
when this muscle grows through suffering, the rest of the body takes note and is benefited by it. Oh, let's use that. We can, yeah, that's a benefit to our body because that, now that muscle is really strong. We can use that, if you will, extend that body imagery. Um, Paul is a servant of the church. Look at verse 25. The servant of the church. And in verse 23, Paul he says he's the servant of the hope of the gospel that is being proclaimed throughout all creation. Why? Why is he this servant of the church? Look at verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So why is he a servant? Why is he a minister? The, the, the term diakonos, which is translated deacon in lots of other places, of which I became a servant according to the stewardship from God. So why? Why is he a servant of the church here? Why? Well, it was the plan of God. According to the stewardship, the plan, the, the, the management of God. A servant to do what? He's a servant to proclaim the word. To make the word of God fully known. To fulfill the word of God. Proclaim it. So first point is the struggle is real. Second point, the mystery revealed. Verse 26. The mystery. So he's making the word of God fully known, right? And that word of God is this, 26. The mystery. Hidden for ages and generations. But now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is... You know what the mystery is? Here's the answer. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love uh, reading in uh, the original language, and it, it brings out this kind of, um, this imagery from the, about the mystery. The mystery, the mystery hidden for ages. And the way it's translated, that's a, the hidden there is a participle. The, the hiding mystery. Think of that. The hiding mystery since ages ago and, and generations, from ages and generations, this mystery's been hiding. I like to hide from my kids and let them try to find me. It's a lot of fun. It's exciting. When, I, when they find me, I scare them really good. And that's even more exciting. And even the point where Vale's kind of afraid to come find me now. Hey, pillar, go. Go find Daddy. Um, this hiding mystery. Imagine... Imagine with me, I'm sure many of you can, imagine a parent. Imagine a parent ready for a child to open up that great present at Christmas. This imagery, this, this, um, this mystery has been hiding, and God has now finally revealed it. And the, this kid, he thinks, I'm going to get a present today. Wakes up in the morning, so excited. Remember those days? You dive underneath the, the tree, and presents go everywhere. And you grab onto that present, you think, Yes, I'm going to get maybe some new pencils today or something, maybe a new pair of socks. I'm so excited. But you know, he's getting this big, massive 
bicycle or whatever it is. This way exceeds and his expectations altogether. And it's like his mind's blown. He can't think and he faints. No, uh, he's just so excited about this thing. And you know, you know this is coming. And you just can't wait for that kid to wake up. Like, come on, you're up at 6.30 before they are. Like, hey, wake up. We got something for you. Maybe not. (laughs) He sees this present. You know, it's, it's better than he could ever have imagined. Or maybe this is better. Imagine a guy picking out a ring and then revealing this as he asks a girl for her hand in marriage. Remember that time? I mean... The excitement's building, right? Remember when, when I had the opportunity to do that for Abby and uh, just uh, scared, scared her? Yeah, scared her. It, it's a long story. It involved breaking into her house and stuff. Just uh, don't, don't do what I did. No, I'm just kidding. And really scared her, and she was really excited. Um, uh, some people, they, they, they pick out a ring without their future wife knowing, and uh, we didn't actually do that, but some people do that. And just imagine that excitement, like, you know, you, the girl knows the ring is coming, and you know she's really going to like this a lot, and you can't wait to show her, and you reveal that. So take those images and let that excitement build. God is revealing this mystery. So take those images and just just multiply it by a, a million or billion, zillion, something. Multiply it, and God is revealing this mystery. It's been it's been hiding. It's been hiding for ages and generations. Now it's here. This is it. He's, his, he promised this would happen back in the Garden of Eden. The serpent would be crushed. And his heel would be bruised. This is it. He's revealing this mystery. Okay, well, well what's the mystery? It's Christ in you. Or simplified even further in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. And the very, the very last part. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That, that's the mystery. Christ. He's here. And Christ in you. You get Christ. Jews get Christ. Gentiles get Christ. Do you remember who this Christ is? Turn back to verse 15 and 20. I've been referring to it, and I'm just going to go over it real fast. He is the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's, he's the creator of thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. They have nothing on him. Uh, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and he holds all things together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is preeminent, supreme in everything. For in him all listen, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through him, to reconcile all things to himself, making peace. By the blood of the cross. We, that, that's our Savior, who we get. He's made peace 
with us. We deserve separation. We wanted separation, being hostile in mind. Aliens, in verse 20. Aliens, hostile in mind, only doing evil deeds. And he comes, and through a bloody cross, makes peace with his enemies. Me, you. He's taken the foreigner and made him a son. And because of this, we have the hope of glory. Let me ask you, do you have Christ? Do you have Christ? Is Christ in you? If not, I call you to place your faith in him. Christ is revealed, Christ is received by believing in him. Believe in him. Not in an intellectual kind of belief, because you know certain facts to be true. Yeah, I know that happened in the past. Knowing that something happened in the past doesn't save you. Because if you really know these facts and you believe them to be true, it would produce a, an action. It would produce a submission to Christ as Lord of your life. Submit yourself to him. Say, I trust, I believe in you. I trust you. I want to follow you with my life. Place your trust in him because there is a hope laid up for you in heaven. The hope of glory. (laughs) Number three, the focus. Seen the struggle, seen the mystery. We've seen now the focus. Christ is Paul's focus. Look at verse 28. Him, him we are proclaiming. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all that have not seen my face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that none, no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See how we came full circle there? Rejoicing in suffering, in the struggle. He's struggling, rejoicing in the mystery that is Christ. We come back around. Him we proclaim, verse 28. His focus is on Christ because of who he is. We just went over that. Who he is. Paul has built this grand picture of who Christ is and then says, he is the one that we're proclaiming. He's the one proclaiming. This mystery, this Christ, we proclaiming. We are proclaiming him. But how does Paul, how does Paul proclaim him? How? Look. Warning all mankind. Teaching all man with all Wisdom that we may present all men mature in Christ. Teaching and warning. 
teaching. We, we, we know this one. Give all mankind the word. Look at verse 25. Remember verse 25? The end of verse 25. Make the word of God fully known. Wording the word. Proclaiming the word of God. So teach. Teach people about Christ. Teach believers. Teach unbelievers about Christ. Teach doctrine. Doctrine is not, is not a dusty, boring study for seminary students. Doctrine, our doctrine tells us how to live. What we believe tells us how to live. And then the way we live shows us where our doctrine is. Doctrine is important. We teach doctrine. We also warn. We warn people. Do we warn warn people? Is that too mean? Hell is a real place. It's real. Warn people. Life without Christ does not satisfy. Sin does not satisfy. Substance abuse won't satisfy. Sexual sin will not satisfy. Friends won't satisfy. Family, as an end in of itself, family, as the primary goal of your life, won't satisfy. Warn people that they're headed down the wrong path. Don't be afraid to say the hard thing. Confront a brother, confront an unbeliever. We're a body. We need each other. We need the help of each other. Say, look, this is what I'm seeing in your life. What's going on? Hebrews has some of the most cutting warning passages, in my opinion. Specifically, I was reading the other day in Hebrews, in my Bible reading plan. And listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay close We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Warning passages. They're not loser salvation passages. They're warning passages. Follow Christ. Follow the living God. Well, what's one way to do this? Colossians gives us an answer. Colossians uses these three words, um, warning, teaching, and wisdom, in another passage. In chapter 3, verse 16. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. So what, what's one way to do this? <laughs> I love this. I never would have expected it. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, that's that, the warning, teaching and warning one another in all wisdom. How? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So how do we do this for believers? We sing. Wonder why we sing so much? teach and to warn in all wisdom psalms hymns spiritual songs i mean that those sound like some strong songs i was reading a book this past week with some friends and um 
Doug Wilson says, uh, most of the Psalms were written, written, Psalms, songs, Psalms were written by a warrior. He knew how to pen songs like that. I'm thankful we have songs like that. Songs we sang this morning. The song we're going to sing in a minute. Strong songs that are, that are teaching us and admonishing us, warning us in all wisdom to each other, to one another. So there it talks about to one another, talking about believers, in my opinion. Here in chapter 1, it's, he says, to every person. There's a repetition there. I've tried to bring that out. Warning every man and teaching every all man with all wisdom that we may present all man mature in Christ. All. It's not just hyperbole. All men. We want all men to know this, to be warned, to be taught. All men. Listen to what this is like for Paul. That sounds like some hard work. All men? Really? All men? (laughs) Exactly. Look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I toil, struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. Some strong words there about work. This isn't easy. This is not easy. It's not an easy call that he's placed on our life. But this is Paul's focus. He's focused on Christ and proclaiming his name. And it's, it's the kind of focus that's determined and engaged, like a fighting kind of focus. Fighting off ourselves. A couple, three points of application, and um, I'm doing application uh, backwards than I normally do. I normally will give you a generic phrase and then kind of break it down a little bit and give suggestions here and there about how that generic phrase will apply to our life. But I'm going to do that a little bit differently, and and I'm going to give you a specific phrase and then work the other way. So uh, drawing application is hard. It's hard work for... The speaker's hard work for the listener because I, I could give you an application like, oh, um, that doesn't affect me at all. But I, I want you to work hard and see how, do, how does this maybe apply to my life specifically. Okay? Number one point of application. Tell your coworker about Christ. Go and tell him. Tell your unbelieving coworker about Jesus. Warn him. Teach him. And really, it's not just about our co-workers, is it? It's, it's, it's about our boss. Tell your boss about Christ. Tell your friend about Christ. Tell your classmate about Christ. Your, your sister about Christ. Tell your father about Christ. I hope you're not listening. Those like, check, nope, 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 nope. I hope you're thinking, who can I tell about Christ? Proclaim him. Warn people. Teach people. All people. But not just unbelievers. We're reminding each other as believers in a body. Tell believers about Jesus. Warn your friend of the destruction of sin because you love him. Warn him. Teach him. Help him. Warn and teach your son, your daughter about what it means to follow Jesus. Tell 
your coworker about Christ. Number two, don't whine about suffering. Rejoice. Again, I say. Nice job. All two of you? No, this is the day the Lord has made. We will. Decent. And be glad in it. This is the day. This day, every day, is the day that the Lord has made. He made all days. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. Even what about suffering day? Suffering day, He has made, and we will rejoice. So we don't whine about our suffering that we are facing or that we may face in the future, that we think we might face in the future, that we will face in the future. We won't whine about it on Facebook. We know, we know where things are headed. We know. And we say, really? That's all you got? I can rejoice in that. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in suffering. Because it has an effect on us and it has an effect on our brothers and sisters. <laughs> and number three, get up early for work. Get up early for work. Follow Following Christ is not a call to a life of ease. Work hard. Struggle. Struggle. Struggle at this. At proclaiming Him. Struggle. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Do, do you find yourself struggling? You have this kind of language when you think of your walk with Christ and your proclaiming of Christ. It's, it's struggling and toiling with all His energy that He powerfully works in you so that you may proclaim Christ. You're You're fighting. Like, I, I really don't want to do this. this it's going to be so awkward if I do that, if I say something. It's going to be awkward. I don't even, I don't even know what I'm going to say. Or this is, going to, this is going to take up so much time out of my day. Or doing this means I need to use up gasoline. Or it, it's going to require that I pay for this or that. It's going to affect me financially. And I better not, I, I, just, I just stay home. It's, it's, it's proclaiming Christ thing. It's just, it's so much work. It's so hard. Oh. It's too inconvenient for me. Take a step back and listen to what you just said. Listen to what we're saying in those situations. Proclaiming Christ. The only one who offers hope for this world. We step back in fear. We're afraid to work hard. I told you I don't cry. We'll struggle. We'll struggle and toil for some job promotion or some foot race. We struggle. To know him and to make him known. But we struggle to proclaim him. May the Lord give us his energy that he powerfully works in us. Let's pray. Dear God, we need your power. To work in us as we 
toil, as we struggle. We need you to work in us, to get us out of bed, to get us off the couch, to get us to sacrifice finances or time or both for the sake of proclaiming your name. We need your energy. We need your work that powerfully works in us. We ask you, powerfully work your energy in us. Or it's a struggle. It's a fight. We, we fight ourselves in our own selfish kinds of desires. We fight ourselves. And when we go out and we proclaim this name, we, we face rejection. We face suffering. We face difficult consequences for proclaiming your name. And we say, help us to rejoice in that suffering. Help us to see our suffering as connected to the body of Christ. Help us to see how our suffering changes us, emboldens us to proclaim as we see in the Apostle Paul. Lord, we are so grateful, gratefully overwhelmed by the fact that we get Christ in us, the hope of glory. We get Christ. So, thank you for sending your son to a people who were aliens, who hated you. And you decided to pay the debt that was due us. And for that, we rejoice. We rejoice in that. Lord, help us to live like we believe that Christ is everything. That we really do need you every hour. We need you. Give us strength to live like we believe this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing, really pray these things in song to the Lord.